Hello and welcome to Bootstrap, the podcast for software bootstrappers. If you are running a software company or looking to start one, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Steve McLeod. This week, I'm joined by Steve McLeod. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Craig. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Well, listeners, this is not some kind of transference in the podcasting world. The script is flipped this week a little bit as I will be chatting with Steve and kind of interviewing him about kind of what he's up to these days with Feature Upvote, his SaaS application, kind of where it came from, what he's up to these days, and, and kind of what he's learning along the way. So, Steve, I know that you've had the awesome like opportunity of of chatting with a handful of folks on the podcast about what's going on in their businesses and things they're learning and stuff like that. And as the the host of the show, a lot of times you don't get the chance to to share what you're going through uh, and pass some of that knowledge and experience on to listeners. So I thought, we both thought, I guess, that it would be cool to kind of turn things around the other way and, and let you kind of talk about what you're up to with, with Feature Upvote on the podcast. So for folks who don't know kind of what your business is and, and kind of what you've been up to, do you want to share a little bit about that in general? Yeah, sure. Sounds great. So the current product that I concentrate on is Feature Upvote. It's a SaaS software as a service aimed at businesses. I started this in early 2017, but this wasn't the, the first product. The company I'm running has been operating since 2008. So we're actually moving from a B2C, a, a consumer-based product, a desktop app, to this uh, web SaaS, because SaaS is where it's at, right? Yeah, SaaS is what all the cool kids are doing. Uh, I think, well, I mean, that's, that's a whole nother episode, I think, that like <laughs> SaaS is definitely not the easiest way to, to make money or build a business, but that's for another day, maybe. Definitely. So that, that's a question I have, because you talk about Feature Upvote a fair amount, but I've never heard you really talk about what this other business is. So is it still running? Is, is it kind of pivoted into Feature Upvote? What's the kind of story there? So it's still running, and it still provides a good chunk of our income. And that's a product for online poker players. It's called Poker Copilot. And that reached a point where I'd say it was a mature product. There wasn't a lot of room for growth. And I had been working on it for eight years, I think, nine years, actually nine years when I released Feature Upvote. And I was kind of bored of working on the same product every day for so many years. And also dealing with uh, consumers. Most of the customers were really nice people, but there was a a small number of people who really made life quite unpleasant from time to time. <laughs> I don't know if this is something everybody experiences when they have a consumer product, but we certainly experienced it. There the people who will ask you to add something to your product. And if you don't do it, they get very angry and start writing email after email after email. They write things like, if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to go on all the forums and write bad reviews, that type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And yeah, so I was ready to move away from that world. Gotcha. And so it's still running kind of in the background and you have a team or a few folks that are kind of managing support and update development and stuff like that there? Yeah, there's two of us working on it. So one person takes care of all the support and the uh, administrative side of things. And I'm still doing the programming on it. 
but these days programming means fixing obscure bugs as they appear or making a change that needs to be made to keep up to date with changes in the ecosystem of operating systems and poker rooms that it integrates with. It really doesn't gotcha. take much time. So I, I would imagine that like you're coming from the B to C world, you learned a lot that you're kind of putting into place with feature upvote now. Is that true? Oh, definitely. Yeah. This time around, it's been far more systematic because of the lessons I learned the first time through. Yeah. What what kind of things, like what kind of things that maybe like you learned that folks that are listening that are maybe just getting started with SAS could like learn and avoid <laughs> avoid the headaches themselves? Good question, Craig. Two things that come to mind straight away, support and the daily grind. Let me cover them one by one. So I got overwhelmed with support very early on with Poker Copilot. I got to the point where I was just getting 20 or more emails a day for people asking for help. And I would get through those and then have not much energy left to actually work on the product or work on my marketing. And I would go through that twice a day, 9 a.m. and I think like 7 p.m. I can't remember exactly and try to get all the support emails done. I eventually put in systems and improve my product and improve my documentation so that those support emails would reduce. This time around, from day one, I made sure that our support was as good as it possibly could be, that the product itself was answering the most important or the most common support questions, and that I wasn't going to be overwhelmed with support. At the moment, I'm still doing all the support myself for Feature Upvote, which is also a conscious decision to I learned the first time around, it's probably the best way to really keep your pulse on the product and what people like and don't like about it. Mm -hmm. The the second point was the grind. You don't really read this when people are talking about how great it is to start your own business, but it's something you have to turn up to every single day or every single weekday and just do the same things over and over. Improve your product slightly, improve the, the marketing, improve the support, improve the documentation, improve the, the way you communicate. And I knew this time to expect that. Last time it got me by surprise, but this time I just knew that I have to turn up and work on it every single day if it's going to be a successful product. Do you think that like setting that expectation for yourself changed a lot of kind of like how you approach the work because i mean the reality is not any different right you still like you said you still have to show yeah. up every day in this case but like what do you think it is about like setting that expectation for yourself that makes the difference i've definitely gone a lot slower mm. knowing that there's no time i'll get to where all the problems are solved and then i can relax knowing that knowing that no matter how many problems i solve there will still be more problems or more things to do I know to go slowly and make sure that I'm keeping a good balance between my life outside of work and my work life. Yeah. I think last time, especially as I started Poker Copilot while still working full time, and I was trying to do all this stuff in the mornings before going to work and the evenings after coming home and on weekends, I didn't have that balance in my life that I'm really working hard on keeping now. Mm. I think you definitely can tell a business that is built by somebody who owns all of their time and is able to really intentionally build the systems and the infrastructure and the type of business. I, I think it sounds like you kind of chose the type of business that, that you wanted to build with this like lifestyle stuff in mind, which is something I've never 
really heard somebody do and is really smart. Yeah. I definitely did. Yeah. I, I went through a, a long list of possible products to do as uh, as my second product or my B2B SaaS. And one of the criteria is it had to be something that could be run without feeling like the world's burning down around me all the time. Yeah. So but for example, take a company like GitHub. When there's a problem with GitHub, like they know about it. Everybody's on their case. They have to solve it now because so many people are dependent upon it. Now, when we have some downtime, which doesn't happen very often, but like it will happen, it has happened. Maybe we get a couple of emails from people saying, oh, I noticed it's down. For example, I'm thinking of a specific case where we went down early on a Sunday morning. Two people noticed during that time because it's not this this product where people need it to be up and running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. So that was a very yeah. conscious decision. Again, it's a whole nother episode, but I'd love to maybe at some point talk through the decision-making kind of process that you went through around that. Because I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs think about is like, what business can I start? And then like, what are the criteria that someone would need to kind of design the business that fits their lifestyle? And, and for some people, it is like this, you know, hey, it needs to be kind of low maintenance and not like mission critical. For some people, it's, hey, this needs to be like on a venture track or I need to be able to grow this. It needs to be something I can sell easily. Um, I think I got into like with Castos, you know, we're in a, a really dynamic market, right? Like podcasting is mm. changing really quickly. And I think because of that, I feel some pressure to grow really quickly and be innovative and do things and make an impact because in the next couple of years, like this market will change a lot. And if we're not kind of entrenched in some way, I feel like we'll get kind of passed by. So I'm envious a little bit of being able to take all the time that you want to really build the business you want. And if your growth is 3% this month and 10% next month, nobody really cares, right? Because all your bills are paid and everything. And so the rest is kind of just gravy on top. Exactly. I think that's that's really awesome. Yeah. Can you give some kind of idea of like how... Like what phase you are in the business? Like I know you have customers were a customer. Well, like what kind of size of the business is it? So we're currently four or five people, depending on how you count. None of us work full time. That was also a conscious decision. So when I say we're four or five people, don't think that we're a team of people doing 40 hours a week each. And we have a solid customer base. It's just growing quite at quite a steady clip. Yeah, nice. does that answer the question? Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, and I, I, I don't. Uh, no, no, no. Like I, we talked before we started recording. You know, we don't disclose like what our MRR is and and I and number of customers and all that kind of stuff. And I don't, I don't expect you to either. I think that's a sticky topic, anyhow. Here's a good way of putting it: If I no longer had the B two C product, Feature Upvote would still pay the bills. Yeah, and that's. I mean, I think that's that when I when I asked about like phase of the business, I think there's like a couple. It's like you're just starting out. You have some customers, but it's not paying the bills. It's paying the bills and you have some people that are helping you. And then like past that is, you know, we're scaling or whatever. Yeah. It's a really interesting question though about where I want the company to be in a year or two's time, whether I do want it to be in another phase altogether or to be how it is now. And you know, I'm not 100% sure I know the answer to that question. It's something I've been asking myself lately. Do I want to keep it very, very calm and small like it is now? Or do I want to see if I can get it to a, a higher level? Yeah, that was my next question, actually, because as you've been really intentional about building slowly and in a very good way, it makes me wonder, like, 
what is your approach to growth kind of mentally? You know, like I know you're mm. working hard and you have folks on your team who are working and stuff like that. But for folks who say like, we want to, you know, start small and keep the team uh, as small as possible, not working full time and stuff like that. Do you feel like there's a different mindset you have around growth or what the business could be versus somebody who's, you know, trying to shoot for the stars? Yeah, and I think it guides your decisions. I, I think a lot of people starting off their their businesses for the first time don't think enough about how they'd like it to be in five years' time because the answers to that question shape the decisions you're making today. For example, are you going to have an enterprise-level plan on your product? If so, that means you're going to have to go through lots of discussions uh, to negotiate contracts, possibly get a lawyer involved, agree to a certain level of, of support and maintenance and so on, which makes for a very successful business, but also means that this business becomes your entire life. Mm, and yeah. I still don't really want that. We've I've turned down a couple of inquiries from really notable companies who wouldn't get started with Picture Upvote until we got the lawyers involved. And I just had to say, to myself, that's not what I want from my company. It's not where I want to go, but it's not an easy decision. And I think because I started off from day one knowing where I wanted it to be in five years' time, it helped make those decisions. Well, yeah. now three years have passed or two and a half years, and I'm finding that I'm now I'm not so sure of my answers for where I want to be in, in the future. And another thing that's changed things too is that my daughter was born, I've mentioned her several times on this podcast, she was born just a few months ago, and that also changes things. I'm from New Zealand, but I'm living in Spain, and I would like the opportunity to go to New Zealand every year for the for January, that summer in New Zealand and winter here in Spain, and spend a month there with my family so they can be around my daughter. And that also shapes what I do with my business. Uh, the business that gives me the freedom to just pack up the family and move to another country for temporarily for a month at a time. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I mean, I think that one of the big like decision points and and kind of like when you grow or, or how you're growing, I guess, is kind of getting into that mission critical phase, like you're talking about, and things like SLAs and uptime promises and enterprise contracts yeah. and all this crap. The other is taking like venture money that they have a board seat and they can fire you and sell your business from under you oh. and stuff like that. I think is, you know, there's a, and all of it's a spectrum, right? But as long as you stay on the the bootstrapping side of those kind of decisions, I think you can have the flexibility to to do the stuff you're talking about. And that's super powerful. And I think it's like a big reason a lot of us do what we're doing. You know, we took a little bit of money and joined the Tiny Seed Accelerator, but I mean, we spent a month in Italy this summer, you know, it was kind of like a month long workcation, kind of like you would do it in New Zealand, probably. And, you know, nobody there said anything to me about it because we're growing and I'm doing my job and stuff like that. And I think that's the power of having these remote businesses that you can work from anywhere when and, and how you want. And it's just amazing. Totally. It is amazing. Yeah. Comes with its own stress, but I would never give it up. Yeah. Yeah. What is causing you to kind of rethink the say ambitions because that has like a negative connotation maybe but like <laughs> yeah. the, the goals uh that you have for the business like what what's making you rethink the the goals for the business here you know in the last you know whatever couple of months because it sounds like a totally sweet setup you know you have two businesses basically yeah. kind of working part-time on them and they're providing everything you need they're growing yeah why not just let it roll yeah that's a really good question 
part of it is the awesome economics of of SaaS. I didn't realize before I started a SaaS product, a software as a service, but once it gets going, once the pieces get in place, it just starts almost getting its own momentum. And I got to the level that I initially uh, aimed for with the product, and then I realized it's not leveling off there. It's just continuing to grow. And if that trajectory is maintained by me still working on it, it has so much potential in a way I never realized. Like you multiply the number of customers you're getting per month by their lifetime value, and you can already see that the, pro the product will, of its own accord, become a, a much more profitable product. And I think that's changing my mindset a little bit, that realization of the, the wonderful economics of a, of a SaaS once mm -hmm. it gets to that certain uh, point. Yeah, I agree. Especially, I, mean, I think that if you if you take the urgency out of the equation, you can work on it kind of when and how you want. If you've got all of the the essentials covered, so you have someone you know managing the development, and you have someone from marketing and things like that, then the time that you add is is additive into the business. Then yeah, I think that's perfectly reasonable that you know work on it a little more than than you had in the past maybe and the business grows and and then like the result or the return on the investment of your time and effort is is so much more yeah especially yeah. once you've re reached some kind of like scale and product market fit yeah definitely yeah we're at the point now where every month we're getting more website visitors and more signups and more people committing to a paid plan and getting expansion growth and that's the magic, really. really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. We've had a couple of times this year, we've had negative net MRR churn. Sounds very um, technical to people listening who are not familiar with this, but it just means that uh, our existing customers by the end of the month are giving us more money than to, to make up for the customers we've lost. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, no, it is. That's one of the the magic. Talk about the math of of SaaS. That's one of the the real magical levers. I think we don't experience a ton of it uh, with Castos because we're not like a per seat or a usage based pricing model. You know, we have kind of feature gated tiers, so some people move up. You know, the feature chain. But I think you know the classic example of like a good business that's naturally set up for expansion revenue is like an email service provider. Or a CRM, where like the more you use the product, the more successful you are in it, the the naturally that you end up paying them more money. How do you guys get expansion revenue? Are you guys feature kind of gated, or is it usage based somehow? It's based on how many feedback forums people have. So we charge a flat fee per forum or per product board. We're not quite sure of our terminology there. So if a company starts using us for one product and they like it, they'll often add uh, boards for other products in their portfolio. So we might have, in some cases, we have customers with 10 product boards paying us per product. Now, this was an accidental model. Initially, I was going to go for the three-tier approach that everybody says you should do in SaaS. You have your, you know, your startup price at $29 and your pro price at $79 and then your enterprise at $249, something like that. And I was really struggling to work out how to divide our feature set amongst those tiers. Uh, so I figured for now, I won't even worry about this. I'll just charge a one fee, one price for everybody. And in the future, once I actually know how to segment our audience, we'll then add tiered pricing. But the thing I did quite by accident, but turns out to have been very smart, 
accidentally smart was to charge per board. Just say that's it, a flat fee per board. And that's just created this expansion growth path that I didn't even know I was doing. Yeah. So now we're looking at updating the pricing. And a question is, do we even do tiered pricing? I always intended to do it, but now I'm thinking, is it just going to create problems when we already have a, a, an approach that's working? I don't yeah. know the answer. What's your thoughts, Craig? Yeah, it seems like a logical value metric to me. And I think that's what, you know, someone like Patrick Campbell would probably tell you is like your, your pricing should be based on the value that your customers get. And so if you have, you know, if you're charging by the project or by the board, I think that's that's a reasonable value metric. Within that, could you create like the three different tiers? So like charge, you know, bronze, silver and gold per board? Probably, but that would be pretty complicated, I would think. And then you would have like some people that want gold for this board and, and silver for the other. And I mean, just like if it's not broken, I would probably just leave it like it is because I think pricing is a thing that, that can have a big impact on your business, but, but can be a lot of work for not a lot of result, too. Uh, interesting. I, I don't know. That's, that's a tough you, one. Have you changed your prices much over time? Yeah. So we started with just a single plan. So it was just $15 a month. After about a year, we changed to our lowest plan being $19. And then we added a $35 and a $49 plan. And probably sometime next year, we'll change that again to still the three tiers. And they'll still be kind of feature gated, but just some different pricing plans because we'll have more features in the higher tiers. So when you introduced the higher pricing and the tiered pricing, did you find your conversion rate of trial customers to paying customers dropped? No. Actually, you weren't doing trial customers then, were you? Yeah, no, it was exactly the same. Yeah. Okay, so basically you just started earning more money from new customers. Yep, yep. And we've yeah. grandfathered the existing customers in at the lower price, and it's been, yeah, years now, <laughs> like a year and a half that, that yeah. we moved from the 15 to the $19 base plan. and. I mean, you know, we look at the the numbers and it would be like $1,000 of MRR or $1,500 of MRR we would increase. Yeah. And it's just probably not worth it. No, it's not. No, and the no big point scheme of annoying things. existing customers for yeah. such a small amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, I don't want to say $1,000 a month is, is nothing, but uh, when one weighs up the goodwill and so on. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's the thing is if it was $20,000 of MRR, I would probably say, you know, this is something that we need to do and people will understand. But yeah, it's not it's not going to change the business. Yeah. Our coming price rise, we fully intend to grandfather existing customers and keeping them all on the price. We already have several different price points from people who are on our bootstrapped plan that we don't publicize. And I created a few one-off plans for some of our initial customers when I was overly enthusiastic about doing anything to get people on board yeah <laughs> so i've got these like these odd plans with just one person using it left and i'll keep them until the day the business is over probably yep yep i think that's reasonable you know last thing i wanted to ask you about is the podcast so i know you kind of came into the podcast and, and it was you know given to you or, or gifted or whatever the term would be i guess from the guys who started it how kind of did that come about and, and kind of how is the podcast going from your perspective so far? Okay, how it came about, I'm not exactly sure. I just got an email from Ian Lansman one day asking me if I'd be interested in taking it over. Now, I had known both Ian and Andre, the previous hosts of this podcast, 
online for years and back in the previous decade. And I really liked what they were doing with the with the forum and the podcast, the bootstrapped forum. And I was a very keen user. I also met them in person once or twice on they both live in or near New York. So when I've been in New York, I've made a point of trying to catch up with them. So maybe it's just that relationship thing. They were wanting to hand it over to somebody they knew and I just happened to be the person. As far as I know, there was nobody else who it was offered to. Yeah. That was the first part of the question. How did it happen? What was the second part of the question? Yeah, just kind of how how it's going so far. I know you're, you know, maybe 10 episodes into kind of since taking it over and it's going well so far and I'm sure you've learned a lot. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And for many, for several reasons, one of those reasons is that Fridays are now my podcasting day. I use that as a, a reason to say that I will not be working on my main products on Friday. It's a day to do something else. I'm not very good at switching off from work. You could argue that this is still work related, but at least it's something different from the normal stuff I'm doing. I started it tentatively thinking that maybe I will find it hard, I won't enjoy it, or nobody will listen. But actually, it turns out I'm enjoying it far more than I expected. I really like the fact that people have been contacting me and commenting on episodes and telling me what they got out of it, which is a really, it's a real uh, thrill to know that people are listening. Yeah, it's a trip, isn't it? Like podcasting is is a ton of fun. And, and I think what you'll find, Steve, like next time you go to a conference or something, people are going to come up to you and say, oh, you're Steve. I love the podcast. <laughs> I, I listen to you every week. And you're like, I don't know you. This is <laughs> This is really strange. But it's totally cool. And I think, I mean, podcasting is is so special because you're literally like in somebody's ear every mm. week for 30 minutes. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. So I'm I'm super happy that you got a chance to to take over an existing like successful podcast already. That's a really unique and awesome opportunity because you don't have to go through the the tough part of like launching it and building the audience and stuff. You have this kind of built-in audience already, which is awesome. And you have a lot of stuff that you can do with the show now, which is which is really cool. You know, I wouldn't have done this if I hadn't inherited an existing audience. I know that if I had to start from scratch, I would have got five episodes in, got annoyed that nobody was listening, and I would have quit. Yeah. So I think that's what's made me be able to do it. Yeah. Awesome. So Steve, that's kind of all the questions I had. I know we're at like the 30-minute mark that you typically like to, to kind of wrap things up. Is there anything else you wanted to chat through? No, just one more thing I wanted to say about the podcast. This is, is another example of how you need to stick at things and turn up day after day, or in this case, week after week. Like with my business, I was saying how I learned from the first time around that it's a grind that you have to do in the long run. And I think it's also the same with a podcast or a blog or anything. It's best to come in with a mindset that you're going to be doing this for a long time and pace yourself and set certain expectations for yourself. So for me in the podcast, that that's why I do these 30-minute episodes. I know that's what I can realistically do once a week. More than that would be a struggle, and I'd start finding excuses for not turning up each week. Yeah. I tell you, I'm, I'm really impressed with how how intentional and and thoughtful you are about all this stuff, like the, the length of the podcast and, and how that fits into 
your specific day of the week that you're able to do this and how it fits in with the rest of your week and your business and your work-life balance and stuff like I'm I'm envious really because I'm just a like I have to work all the time and the hair's on fire like it's <laughs> uh yeah finding balance is really hard for me and I'm I'm envious so hopefully we can keep doing this and some of that calm and and thoughtfulness will rub off on me <laughs> I hope so. It's very interesting to hear you say that. I don't see myself as being so uh, thoughtful and intentional. And it's very nice to hear that actually that is how it looks from the outside. Yeah. Maybe it's like a fake it till you make it thing, right? Like <laughs> pretend yeah. that you're thoughtful and, and planning and, and then you will be. I don't know. Maybe. Okay, Craig, I've had a blast being interviewed, being having the tables turned on me. Uh, it's actually the day after Halloween today, so maybe we could make this a spooky Halloween, everything's turned around thing. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listeners, if you'd like to discuss more about today's topics, please go to our forum at bootstrapped.fm and join the conversation. Thanks, Craig, and have a nice day. Thanks, Steve. Have a good one. Bye, everybody. That concludes this episode of Bootstrapped. You can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm. Until next episode, goodbye.